0: welcome to the mythology marksmanship podcast i'm morgan king and today i got austin orgain uh how are you doing austin
1: man i'm doing good i'm doing good are you
0: oh i'm doing pretty all right it's kind of hard to not be doing good (laughs) yeah yeah you uh you about to make it through school yet no (laughs) Not, not yet no it feels like i got forever left i mean i'm it's getting closer all the time but uh yeah, it's not close enough. Still got about a year left.
1: Oh, that's not too bad, then.
0: I mean, we're under the year mark, but it's like 40, I think we're I'm down to like 45 weeks. 40, yeah. no, 47 weeks.
1: Uh, it'll go by. It, it'll be done before you know it. I sure hope so.
0: Yeah. yeah. How's the little one?
1: Uh, He's good. He's good. Uh, thanks to you and the Oklahoma deal and, and your suggestion, he's now hooked on eight seconds. And apparently he's going to be a sheep rider and then a bull rider. So he says.
0: 100%. Yeah,
1: rides his little buck and bull around. And you have to count to eight and make the buzzer sound. And he jumps off and waves like Lane does.
0: Yeah. For anybody that hasn't <laughs> seen uh, 8 Seconds, you got to watch that movie. It's from about a bull rider from Oklahoma. So it's only fitting that Austin's boy becomes a bull rider from Oklahoma.
1: Uh, let's hope he doesn't become a bull rider. He can rodeo if he wants to and do about anything he wants to I just assume he didn't ride bulls.
0: Well, so you heard it; he's gonna ride bulls.
1: He <laughs> probably is right. probably how that'll happen.
0: That's right. If you don't want him to do it, he's gonna do it. Yeah, that's just the way yeah. that it goes.
1: Yeah, he's already defined enough as a three-year-old. I can't imagine how he's gonna be the teenager.
0: Oh, frick! Don't don't even talk about that. I don't. <laughs> I didn't want to know what my kids are gonna be like. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Hopefully, they're like me because I was like. I didn't get, like, wound up until later.
1: Yeah. Well, that's kind of how I was. I was pretty chill most of the time. I uh, probably did plenty of stuff I wasn't supposed to, but I was more sneaky about it, so I didn't really get caught doing stuff I wasn't supposed to.
0: That's the way to be, I think. Yep. 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 So, uh, I mean, you really don't need much introduction in the shooting world, but I guess we can kind of attempt to because, uh, I mean, almost anybody listening to this – if you're interested in PRS, you probably know exactly who Austin Orgain is. But,
2: uh... hey,
1: you know, what? what's funny, we were talking about, you know, being humble and stuff, a humbling experience for me is I went to the match at Cameo this year, and we walk up to zero, and some guy walks up to me, and he's like, hey, hey, you're Brady, right? And I was like, no, man, that's not me. So, <laughs> so you say that, but there's going to be plenty of people who don't know who I am. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wonder what Brady they're referring to. I have no idea, but I should have just went with it. I'm like, oh yeah, man, how's yeah,
0: it
2: yeah. going? Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, it's funny because we went to. I went to. What was it? There, I'm trying to think of what match I went to, but like nobody knew who I was, and it had been a while. Oh, a team match up here in Washington. Yeah. It was like nobody knew who I was, and it's been the been the first time in a while that like people didn't know who i was and i don't mean that in like an arrogant way it's just more of like a right. like most of the time people come up to me and like hey morgan how are you doing and i have no idea who they are and i don't mean yeah. that in like a like i don't mean it like man i've never met these people or i've met them before and i just an asshole and won't uh learn their name but it's like i just never even seen them before and they just like and then whatever but yeah it's kind well, of refreshing I'm, to not have that yeah
1: that- I bet so. You know, people just come up and talk to you all the time, which I kind of like it. I don't mind like it. You know, most everybody's yeah. just want to see how you're doing. Everything else. My my bad deal is I'm bad with names. Like I'm good oh with terrible. cases, and I'll know I know somebody, and I can't think of their name. So if you're listening, and I just say, "Hey, what's going on, man?" or "Hey, bud," just you know, maybe say your name or something like that. Actually, my favorite was Greg Bell. The first couple of times I met him, like I met him, and he introduced himself, and obviously, and and Greg's a great dude, but i knew i'd met him but i couldn't remember his name and he walked up to me the next time i was like hey man we met i'm greg bell I'm Like, man i like you <laughs> just go ahead and yeah no say your name like that and uh so then after that I, mean, I knew him forever so
0: yeah a lot of people yeah i've noticed that there's a lot of people that do realize they're like "Ah, oh, you probably don't remember and then they go ahead and do that and i don't mean yeah. that like i'm an asshole and won't learn your name but it
1: just takes a while you know yeah. sometimes for me because yeah. i'm stupid same here like I, my mind doesn't work in the way so we actually clay and i were having breakfast one time i don't remember if we we're going to a match or what and, and our waiter asked us what our not we sit and he asked us what our names were just in passing we said our names and he didn't even really acknowledge it and then like later on in the meal or later he just come up and rattled our names off he's like dude how do you remember that he's like well, i don't know i just do i think you just gotta have
2: the mind for it
1: yeah
0: there's that and there's the yeah i used to think that but then uh, There was a time where I was pretty good at remembering names. And it was more of the fact that, which we'll, we could talk about it later, about kind of like what you focus on. It, I was just about to relate it to troop lines, but it's kind of that where it's what you pay attention to.
2: Yeah. So if that's yeah, the
0: thing a- you're trying to pay attention to, you remember it really good. But like a lot of times when we're at matches, like it's just not what's on our mind. Right. Like we're, we're obviously there for one reason. And it's and it's generally not meeting people,
1: trying to get your mind right on hitting targets.
0: Yep, it's just a competitive
1: thing, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Well, and there there is really something to that. I mean, there's a there's a mindset going in of hitting targets and the focus that it takes. I mean, I don't know about you, but like most of the time at the end of the weekend, I'm just pretty much exhausted from you know just trying to stay focused and not let other stuff in distract me so it's like a it's like a mental drain by the end of two days
0: oh i crash at the end of every day i'm like dead
1: yeah,
0: yeah. i mean i'm fighting to keep my eyes open but you know you got stuff you gotta do and maybe feed yeah, yourself yeah. and stuff so it's like gosh but yeah you it's it's draining but it's not bad you know it's not like you're you feel drained in the moment or anything like that it's like you're energized but once you come down off that high you That's just, it. Yeah. You just crash.
1: It's just a crash after that high. It's like yeah. it's like drinking a Red Bull really fast. You know, you get bounce off the walls for a little bit, but then when you come down you're down.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly what it's like. But maybe I think I well I crash way harder, uh, off of a match than I do like a Red Bull or a monster or something. <laughs> it's like yeah, I terrible. I mean, uh there's stories like Paul Higley because me and Paul uh we rode a lot of matches together, and I'm driving down the road. All of a sudden, uh, he said one time we were having a conversation, and I was eating a bag of chips. And he's like, "You were you were like mid sentence, and you took a bite of a chip. He's like, you took you bit the chip, and then uh, it was still in your mouth. You fell asleep mid sentence, mid chip. <laughs> woke up 20 minutes later, finished the sentence and the chip."
1: <laughs> you're like a toddler
0: yeah he did and he looked at me and i remember i, I can remember i don't remember the bl- it was like a blip in the matrix because it was like <laughs> i woke up and i don't remember it. i thought i just kind of like like nodded just barely like, you, like your head, head just kind of nods down but it was like i thought maybe like one second had passed and it was like 20 minutes and so i finished the sentence looked at him and he's like looking at me and he just kept like looking and then he like He he registered what had just happened, started laughing. I'm like, what's funny? And he's like, dude, you were just asleep for 20 minutes. I don't
1: know if I've ever done that. (laughs) I was like, wow. That's that's pretty funny. Yeah. Glitch in the Matrix.
0: That that actually, that's the match. I don't know if you remember this, but I'm pretty sure you won the match. It was like my first top 10, and I'm pretty sure you won it. But it was like the first time I think I'd met you in – the back one, you you probably ne- didn't remember my name. Same thing, what we were just talking about. But this is uh, in where, where, Colorado. Where it
1: oh, it was up there, at Craig. Yeah. I, I do actually remember that just because we had the common thing of roping.
0: Yeah, we were walking down the hill and you talking had, about roping. Yeah, you
1: had, yeah you, had, you had your buckle on. Yeah. So yeah, I actually do remember that. No, uh, I don't think I won that. I think I got second. I think Jake Bibbert actually won
0: that. Oh, too. did he? I just can't Thanks. remember. I just, that was a pretty fun match. A lot of the, the it was.
1: Game. That that was an awesome match. It was hot. Yeah, it was in the
0: hot desert. It was oh, hot.
1: That yeah. was a cool match. Yeah. Oh, you know, a bunch of those Colorado matches were really cool that they don't really have anymore.
0: I know. I'd like. I'd kind of I'd kinda like to see some of them go back on. You know, because I mean, the Koenig match is cool, but I do think there's some there's some room to kind of innovate off that one.
1: Oh, I, yeah, for sure. You know the the one year that Weber got to do the match and tell ride was probably the most epic match I've ever got to shoot. You know we're out of the mountains. There was elk running around everywhere, shooting high angle shots, and there's like these old old houses and cabins around. And kind of got to shoot through or out of. And yeah, a lot of natural terrain, and it was just it was awesome. Yeah. And and it's just kind of a destination, you know, destination yeah. match where everybody likes to go and you kind of make a little vacation out of it. Which I think
0: I think that was that was kind of like a. Derek Hovey might have had a little bit to do with getting that land. Yeah,
1: yeah, he did. I think it might have been some of his family's land or something. It's either
0: family land or their lease where they run cattle because I know his dad or his stepdad runs quite a bit of cows. Yeah. So we need to get him out doing that again because that was fun. Well, I heard that was fun. I didn't get to go down. It
1: was. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. So, anyway, I guess we kind of skipped over the introduction. Yeah, we deal. sure did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I'm Austin Orgain. Uh, I'm from Hammond, Oklahoma, which is this very small town, far western Oklahoma, kind of in the middle, north and south of the state. Uh, started shooting PRS uh, first full year. It was 20, see, in 2016, I guess, in the first year that I actually shot. Uh, shot a couple of club matches and stuff, 2015, to really – mainly just started shooting at all as long range stuff in 2015.
0: So you just, you started kind of, we've started about the same time then.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Real close. Yep. Um, yeah, I shot, I shot a couple of local matches, club matches, uh, maybe like three or four that first year in 2016. And then I mean in 2015, in 2016, I went to rifles only for the first match. Uh, we like to call it rifles mostly then cause there was a lot of, pistol Uh, handgun shooting stuff involved in it 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 was it was pretty funny i went to that match and i just bought a gawk to go shoot it like i didn't even have a handgun shoot other than just a small carrier gun. you know did not claim to be a good shot with a pistol at all uh ended up dropping like i don't even remember i dropped a bunch of points with my pistol but if you threw all the pistol points out i shot my rifle good enough to be second place but I dropped all my points on the, on the pistol <laughs> for my very first PRS match, so that was kind of frustrating, but kind of insightful at the same time. So yeah, those ding handguns. Um, I know. You know. Later on, they they implemented those quite a bit in several matches, and it was more of just a stretcher. It wasn't for points because it was only it's one shot it was one point, and some of the targets were pretty hard, especially for somebody that wasn't very good at shooting pistol, which. You know, In the end, it made me want to get better with a pistol, and, and I practiced some and got a little more competent with it, so it's probably a good thing all around. And then later, they started doing targets where you basically you just had to hit the target. wasn't worth any points. The targets were fairly generous, but you had to hit them and clear those targets before you went to your rifle, so it was just a time stressor. I mean, that, that was pretty fun.
0: I think that's the way, if they're ever going to do it again. I think that yeah. is not a bad way to do it. I just don't. I think there should maybe be a cap on how much it can be done. Yeah, but I don't. I don't have a problem
1: with it. Yeah, you could do a time like you get a maximum of twenty seconds or whatever you clear before, then you have extra time on your rifle or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah,
0: basically like you know, like uh, and- I was thinking in maximum of, as in. You know, maybe no more than four stages of match can,
1: can oh, yeah, incorporate yeah, yeah.
0: it. But then at the same time, yeah, if you don't hit it in twenty twenty seconds, you know, per t- like per target, you know, maximum time you could have it yeah. as like five to ten seconds or something like that, so that so like nobody's like sitting there just like dumping three mags at it.
1: Yeah, dumping three mags at the target just so they get to the raffle. Yeah, and not sounds, ever sounds hitting like a, it. Sounds like a Dean Morris thing. <laughs> <laughs> you may not you may not know dean you know dean no i don't
0: know dean i was just about big, to ask big you.
1: guy from oklahoma but he's it, oh he, you know he's what i'm Oklahoma him. for a long time he shot a long time you know he was shooting well before i was and he, he wasn't real good with a pistol either so it was kind of it was always funny when you got to just because he might dump a mag <laughs> at one target
0: you know i mean and to be fair like like not all pistols are created equal, you know. Like a guy with a 2011 and a race uh, and a all raced out with a red dot stuff, versus yeah. a guy shooting a stock Glock at stuff, it's not the same deal.
1: Absolutely not. And I figured out real quick that that Glock deal wasn't for me, so I ended up getting 2011. And that's a and whole different world. It. it is, and and it wasn't anything like race gun or fancy. It was just a, you know, pretty plain Jane, but it was a double stack 9 millimeter 2011, and I could shoot it. Well enough to get through those stages. Plenty easy. So I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, most of the time they'd be pretty big targets. They'd be full-size Zipzig. I remember uh, early on, it was one of the first spear point matches in, in Kansas, and we had pistol targets, and you had to shoot zip six targets going out, but the farthest target was like 140 yards or something with a with a handgun. <laughs> and I was like, there's no way I'll be able to hit that first shot, stroked it. Hmm. I'm like, okay then. Heck yeah, go to the rifle.
0: Heck yeah, no, that's cool. Um, so, um, how many matches have you won? PRS or
1: PRS and NRL? I would uh, I would count them both. Count them both. Oh gosh, I'd have to look and see. I think it's twenty one or twenty two, counting both of them. Okay. Yeah. That.
0: Yeah, I think that's. That's a heck of a good number.
1: Yeah, not bad. I mean, um I was I've, I've been lucky enough. You know, last year was a little bit of a struggle, but I've been lucky enough to win at least one match every year since twenty seventeen.
0: Heck yeah, I
1: think I've, I've never win win at least one. I but the but the other side of it is I usually don't win more than two or three, so Yeah. So, but there was some there was a there was a
0: little while. I think you've I mean you've been very dominant for the last since
1: 2017 yeah yeah and you know 2017 i actually went into the finale and that was when the finale was in oklahoma uh went into the finale with a pretty good score especially for that time yeah um you know there wasn't a lot of people tied at 300 like there is now just because there's a lot more matches and a lot a lot of good shooters yep um, but I, I went in with like let's say a 296 to a 298 somewhere in there and uh you know felt like i had a really good stood a really good chance to win because that was basically at the time, a home range. It was the heat stroke is only 30 miles from my house. Uh, not that I actually got to go practice or anything, but I'd shot there in club matches yeah, things like that. So I felt comfortable there and then went out and I had some uh, major gun issues, had a, had some bolts that were less than stellar and uh, didn't do very well out there. kind of completely came apart. So that was kind of frustrating. In 2018, it was in Texas. Um, the meatball missed, finale, yeah, yeah, and I and I missed uh winning the whole thing there by just one or two points on the whole season. Matt Rizzo got me, uh, so I ended up second in PRS there, which had been the third year that I was shooting PRS matches. So, yeah,
0: that's pretty cool. You still yeah. hold the the record for the most national titles, though, right?
1: Yeah, yes, yes, because so you got two PRS, one NRL, yep. Um, and then Matt Verso Verso has, has two, has two, two bullets. Yeah, two PRS championships. Yep. And so him and I are the only ones that have two
2: PRS. Trying to get a
1: third. I joked and told my wife that if I ever won a third one, I'd just go ahead and retire. Hey. But I, I don't know. If, I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs>
0: Man, it's a it's a tough deal getting a bullet or getting well the golden one. I mean, you know, any bullet, right? It's tough to get. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, that golden one is tough to come by. So getting one at all. That's a big deal.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, I you know, I feel very fortunate enough it. It's, you know, part of it is, is uh, I was fortunate enough that two of the finale matches were in match styles that kind of fit my shooting style, which yours as well. You know, at Tone, we both shot extremely well at home. Yeah, I know. Um, if they don't
0: throw that stage out, we were not very far apart. What were We two points.
1: Yeah, something like that. Two or three points.
0: And then once they threw the stage out, that was that. That put guys. That jumped a bunch yeah. of guys up right next or right tied with me because both me and you cleaned it, so it didn't change our score.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. It didn't. It, it hurt. It. Well, I mean, I can't say it really hurt me. It didn't really change the outcome for me, but for you, it did, which kind of sucked because it didn't change your placement for the finale.
2: Yeah,
0: just the finale. Which, so it, was, it just cost me yeah. money. It didn't cost me right anything other than just money.
1: M- money and in a in and in a rifle.
0: Yeah, that's you right. Know, a rifle too. There was
1: two. There was two rifles on the on the table there, two decked out Impact Foundations that had 2021 PRS fin, uh, finale on the stock, so pretty pretty cool.
0: I know. I don't like yeah. thinking about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll quit, quit bring that one up. That's, yeah, well, I don't right. know.
0: There, that's two years in a row. I just like. I just wanted to just go home and suck start my rifle. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Because it was like so close, but not. Yeah, it is what I mean, it I've,
1: is. Yeah, I've been there. I just, you know, I've just been fortunate to where finales have gone my way. Uh, you know, it, for the most part, AG Cups kind of gone my way, and the big matches. I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe I just don't get that nervous at them. Just maybe I will shoot better with a little bit of pressure like that. But it's kind of funny though. Like I don't, I don't ever seem to shoot as well. Or at least places well at AG Cup matches. I don't ever feel like I shoot that bad. It just shoot, feels like there's always something small that happens that, that ends up being a separator so,
0: Yeah, I mean it doesn't really matter because uh, you uh, definitely come through when it matters.
1: <laughs> sometimes. I mean, this last year in the AG Cup, I can't really say a whole lot because that uh, was just all around bad weekend. But you know, sometimes you have them. It's just that's not the best time to have yeah. a bad weekend.
0: Yeah, that that definitely happens. It is what it is, you know. But yeah, yeah. let's get the uh, some of the uh, questions. Let's get the gear questions out of the way, and then uh, I got some uh, topics. But um, quick rundown of uh, stuff. Let's see if I have a list. But yeah, why don't you take us through your rifle and what you use as far Kay. as equipment?
1: Uh, so use impact. Uh, actions and the impact 737s, uh, foundation stocks. It's kind of just the impact foundation Oklahoma thing to do, I guess. They call it the Okie setup, but yep, you know, it's just what's preferred around here, I guess. Uh, both of them are local companies too. Both of both guys running the companies and and, and girl, and can't leave Amy out on that. She probably does way more than John Kyle does anyway. <laughs> but uh, great people, you know, they support the sport, they're there all the time. they've really kind of made it into a, a family deal yeah um i've got hawkins bottom metal uh hawkins precision one piece scope rings tangent theta scope uh proof research barrels okay. um, i typically just run a harris bipod uh, i do run a skypod double pull when uh, you know, the time calls for it if you need a little bit more height or or even actually if you need to get really low. Um, I, I've gotten to where I always carry a skypod for for certain positions in certain stages.
0: Yeah. Um, well, you're usually running the, the regular old Bentress, uh Harris most of the time, right?
1: Yeah. yeah Do you have any attachments regular. on it? Yeah, I got the Really Right Stuff um, Arca uh, Swivel on it, which actually I really like because you change out – to that arc attachment, that really that stuff. Arc attachment, and it gives you a lot of cant ability. Yep. So, which so that, I think that happens rifle.
0: with most of them. I think.
1: Yeah. Uh, I know MPA, or or used to, it's been a long time since I've messed with them, but the MPA was a little bit wider, and it and limited a little bit of your cant, which you can still get a lot So if you turn it
0: around carries. backwards, it doesn't.
1: Okay. And there you go.
0: So that's what I do. I turn it around yeah. backwards, because I've been using my bench rest quite a bit more lately, too. And, yeah. uh, yeah, that's what I did is I turned it around. I think, I don't know. I don't know if that's the way you to do it, but I know I'm left-handed, so I just stuck it on that way. I, cause you can take the, you can take the plate off and turn it whichever way. Yeah. So you can turn it around backwards, take the plate off, turn it around if you're right-handed, but you and I, it comes stock exactly the way you want it.
1: Right. Yeah. I always set up my wheels to the right side.
0: Yep. 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 That's so with
1: that, I mean it's you know Harris's are fairly cheap, uh, pretty inexpensive, and they're just they're pretty solid. So
0: I think that's what would surprise a lot of people listening. I don't know unless you're unless you've seen Oklahoma setups before, uh, because I mean you guys are almost every one of
1: you runs a Harris. Yeah, yeah. So I do. They're quick to deploy. They're fairly modular. There's there's limitations to them for sure. You know. You, you, Get into some rocky terrain or very uneven terrain, and stuff like that. Skypod starts really shining on those, and they're really versatile. And honestly, that's what I take hunting all the time. Is I put Skypod on just because you never know what position you're going to be in. So
0: I do love the Skypod.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, what else? Uh, Ace muzzle brakes. Mm-hmm. So,
0: which you um, are a co owner of Ace, or a- or are you the sole owner? What is that?
1: Uh, co owner of Ace with Clay Blackheader. Uh, we kind of designed that and actually, Tate Streeter helped a bunch, helped a ton with the design. We went to his shop and kind of came up with a bunch of different iterations of it. And really, what we wanted to do is we wanted to have a brake that reduces as much recoil as it could without putting blast back on the shooter. So we wanted something that not necessarily maybe reduced rearward recoil, but kept vertical. the muzzle flat. Yeah. Yep. We didn't want any vertical. And then be able to take some of the blast off the shooter so you don't get that concussion coming off the break. It's a little bit more friendly to shoot. You know, it's still loud. It's still a muzzle break, but um, a little bit easier on a guy to shoot. You know, for me, uh, before that, I was running Gen 2 Fat Bastard. And at the end of a two-day match, you know, it just felt like somebody had put my head in the vice and I just kind of had a headache from it, from all that concussion. So I wanted something that was a little bit milder um i think it does it well you know we made it a little bit tunable where you can kind of roll it and try to take some more of that left and right uh recoil out and and try to get the very straight recoil yeah um anarchy front rail the arca rail that adjusts it's uh goes on the entry trail of the foundation stock and it's adjustable uh, adds oh, a little bit more weight all aaron's deal
0: aaron uh, who is it aaron giants he's a uh, owner of anarchy outdoors is that who you're well, talking about, or is it the no, different? No, so
1: it's a different one. So this is Can't Rush. Can't Rush. Oh, out of Tennessee okay. makes these uh, anarchy rails.
0: So it's an, an so the rail's just an anarchy rail. I just figured because he makes a bunch I of parts. He's so. from Utah. Old Aaron Giants. Okay. He ran. Yeah. Did you ever go? Well, I don't know if you went to. it. There was used to be a match in Tremonton, Utah. The uh-uh. two day match. They only had yeah. it, I think, once. Him and Paul
1: Higley put it on. Yeah. No, I didn't make it to that one. But, um uh, run that. Uh I do run a weight kit inside the foundation to get a little bit more weight. Uh one question I get a lot is everybody asks, you know, what what the weight of you know setup is. Yeah. So I'm I'm right about twenty four pounds. Uh that's what the proof competition contour, which is a pretty heavy contour. Yep. Uh that's the centurion foundation stock with the weight kit and an RQ rail.
0: So, um, so. curious.
1: just curious, where's your balance point? Have you measured where it's at? Yeah. Well, not exactly measured like a measurement, but it's just in front of the magwell. So I run a 26 inch barrel, uh, just for that. To me, if you run for me, myself, if I run a 28 inch, it gets a little bit front heavy. Um, okay. I don't like the way it balances. So I run a 26 inch barrel and, and it balances well for the way I like.
0: So you just somewhere right. in front of the magwells, what you are thinking?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: Cause I know I like yeah. mine pretty front heavy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, I run a 28 MTU, which I used to run the pro- Proof Comp Contour, but yeah, the yeah, I, I kind of went back. I was trying to drop some weight, so I put my gun on a diet.
1: Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. I was talking, uh, I'm working with a guy that used to shoot a lot with us. He used to be on the third gen shooting team and go a bunch. Uh, he didn't already shoot at all anymore. I was talking to him today, and he was asking about how much my gun weighed. I told him, he goes, That's crazy. And then I think back to when I first started, you know, yeah. in 2016, 2017, some of those matches had a lot more movement, a lot further movement. And you wanted about a 16-pound rifle then, and, and now it seems like, not that there's not a lot of movement in matches, but typically when there's a lot of movement, it's not far. You know, it's just you're not moving more than 10 or 15 yards in any direction.
0: Well, and the other thing is the weight. I think with then uh, we also were shooting – I mean, generally, it was uh like a six creed or a six five creed, uh, mostly six fives. I know you started with like a six, but like yep. a six by forty seven, right?
1: Yeah, I started with I started with a six by forty seven.
0: Yep, but like most people were like, even at that time, were just switching over from three oh eights, and I was I started with a six five creed, but yeah. our guns, my gun was like fourteen pounds, I think. And I I'd fill an eighteen pound gun, but man, that's heavy. And then yeah, oh yeah. I think we we real what people just started getting heavier and heavier guns, and barrels got heavier. Like I started with a medium Palma and thought that was heavy. That's
1: that's that's exactly what I had too.
0: So, and I when I had a dasher, my first dasher was a was in a McMillan, A three dash five, with the edge fill, and a yeah. medium Palma barrel and a coloscope on it. So it was like 12 and a half pounds.
1: Yeah. Nice hunting rifle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, and it didn't recoil at all. It was awesome. Um, yeah. but like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Now, Looking yeah, back at it,
1: 20 pound dashers, 25 pound dashers. But...
0: Yeah. And I think that's maybe why we think that the, I, this is my theory. I think that everybody went so heavy because we were, we, it was like first it was, Everybody was like a 16 pound gun, and then they were shooting a six five that was 16 pounds, and then they went to a six and was like, "Wow, that's a lot less recoil." And then, yeah. and then people went up in weight, and it was like, "Wow, that's a little bit less recoil." And yeah. what ended up happening is now you're seeing people like that that have a 24 pound um, dasher because they think that more weight's gonna r- eliminate recoil, and then. Now, all of a sudden, you, you get a 6.5 that's 24 pounds, and really, the recoil difference not that much different than your 6. I mean, it's definitely right. different, but it's more recoil, but it's not as still uncontrollable man, as we think. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not well, a 16-pound
1: 6.5. Yeah, and I think a lot of it stemmed from, you know, back in the day, you, the, the positions you built. You, we didn't have the bags of it today, right? We didn't have 100%. the 100%. We didn't have the cookies. You, you you, didn't ever really even shoot off of a bag positionally. You just kind of let the stock rest on whatever it was, and you either pushed into it or pulled into it and had these barricade blocks. Or um, I actually used to use a sling on the front swivel stud of my rifle and hook it to my belt yep. and I'd pull back into my uh, bipod. I remember doing that. Um, and that's how I could get steady and hit it. So I think it, it, you didn't want a heavy rifle for one because the props were wobbly, and the heavier the rifle, the more the prop would move. And, you know, and then prone, it really wasn't hard to see run a lot of rifles anyway. Yeah. So you weren't too worried about it prone. Um, And then there was a lot of movement too, but I think as the props have gotten steadier and as the sandbags have gotten better, people realize that the weight on the rifle on the sandbag helped control recoil a lot. And then all of a sudden, now you can spot shots off positional. Oh, now all of a sudden you can see trace positionally and then you can see exactly where you're hitting plate positionally, whereas before... It didn't matter what weight gun you had, you weren't gonna see it anyway. Yep. You're just gonna try to read whatever that plate flops around, um, just because the prop is wobbly, and and we didn't have the bags and and be able to build a position like we can now.
0: Yep. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Um, so you
1: use what or what bags do you use? Um, so I use a mix of mostly WeBad. I like to shoot positionally with WeBad. I like the sand filled, uh, mini fortune cookie. Okay. Um, I have one called the tater tot that's a little bit bigger, but I mostly prefer the fortune cookie. And then actually for a rear bag prone, I use a, uh, poly bead fill, like canvas game changer, um, or a light fill game changer for a rear bag whenever I'm shooting prone. I don't like the sandbags so much when I'm shooting prone. It always feels like they're trying to fall out on me whenever I'm trying to squeeze the back of the rifle up. Yeah, there's um, you got to like be a little bit more aggressive with it. Up. For sure. Yeah.
0: But I I think I think uh, I'm a, I'm a light I like the light bag, too in the back. Yeah. We're pretty much the same, I think on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, what else? Is there uh, what kind of glass you
1: got? uh tangent theta uh, is what i'm running with the JTAC radical um running, usually typically i have two setups that are identical um you know maybe either two dashers on or now uh i kind of switching pack four twenty six five creed and and just recently this year started shooting a twenty five by forty seven so um doing some bullet testing and then just trying that out and been pretty happy with the twenty five cal um, so anyway, I'll have two identical setups, possibly in two separate, you know, two different calibers, and, and have a tangent. date on each one of those uh, for spotting. I pretty much just use the Swarovski EO ranges, uh, the new one with the tracking assist. I actually like to spot with a little bit higher power binocular most of the time. Me too. You know, I know if I, I, I would like to have a 15 power, but I like the integration of the rangefinder and the binos, and not have to carry you know multiple pieces of glass and more equipment so i just you know i just spot with the 10 power binos yeah i mean it's, um, it I'm, works yeah it does it, it works just fine most of the time i can see you know everything i need to see anyway um i do like you know typically on my scope i'll run somewhere in that 15 to 20 power range mm-hmm. and so i do like the 15 pot uh 15 by sorrows Better for that because it kind of matches my power engine, it kind of puts everything in perspective when you get down to your scope. Yep, um, yeah, other than you still have a bigger field of view at the bottom, anyway. So I don't know how much it really matters, but
2: no,
0: but I I try to do the same thing on my spotter, I just dial it to whatever my scope is. And I run, sounds like I probably run higher power than you do,
1: probably. So I'll typically run an entire match on you know 16 to 18 power. Um, depending on mirage and and you know how how spanned targets are uh occasionally I'll go down to like twelve to fourteen power typically not any ever any lower than that but I, most of the time don't hardly ever go over a twenty five power unless um but that's the only time I go over twenty five powers like if a target is obscured or kind of washed out somewhere and it's hard to see edges I'll yeah go ahead and zoom up you know at cameo when the sand got uh, when the sun got low. Um, on day one, some of the targets started getting pretty hidden in shadows and stuff like that. I found myself running all the way up to 25 power on some targets for that. Uh, but mostly you know, 16 to 18 power is pretty, yeah. pretty common for me.
0: Yeah, I run um Yeah, I run a little bit more, but not bad. Yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, I think that pretty much. I mean, I'm sure there were something else, but yeah, so. Yeah. I think most people you guys have made Oklahoma famous in for a lot of a lot of people in a lot of places of the world. Like you know, it's funny. I talk yeah. to people every now and again from and like when we were at the world championships. You know, everybody knows where Oklahoma is in uh in America because of you guys. Just because
2: of us, yeah. Yeah, they're like son of a it's, gun. It's funny.
1: It's funny because we went to France and you'd talk to somebody from France and they'd say, "Where are you from?" You say Oklahoma and they'll say, "Where's that?" But you go to the maps and you say Oklahoma and they know exactly where it's at.
0: Oh yeah, they're like, Cause, "Oh just yeah, cause yeah, we yeah,
1: Put Oklahoma on the map just for shooting.
0: In fact, you know, a ton of people just assumed that I was from Oklahoma.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I get that so. a lot. Though. Oh, I thought you was from Oklahoma. I'm like, yeah, no nope yeah well that makes sense you kind of fit in with opies for the most part i mean i yeah it's not like i'm out of place i don't feel out of place shoot, when, even yeah. when i go to oklahoma just talking to the people
1: shoot good grew up rodeo and doing all that stuff so
0: it kind of makes sense i i do agree i mean yeah. there's not that many people outside of outside of oklahoma that kind of have that profile
1: no no not not typically no, I mean they – shoot some... well. I think that's a requirement to be from Oklahoma. Is you have to shoot well now. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, they, you, you would know say that. a lot of that. But it's true.
1: Yeah, we get asked that a lot on on why so many good shooters coming out of Oklahoma, and I think that's just such a dynamic question because for one, we had a lot of original guys that basically started the PRS or started in the PRS that we were able to learn from early. You know they kind of figured stuff out, and we got to learn from them early. And then when it started getting really competitive, there's a lot of really good shooters already here for multiple reasons. But I think we get to shoot in wind a lot. We get to shoot in tough conditions a lot. Typically, like whenever I cut my teeth shooting and started shooting, we shot a lot smaller targets. You know, you you couldn't wish you couldn't miss a wind call by three tenths still at the target. Right? Yeah, there were a lot smaller targets, so it made a lot better shooters. Well, then you start getting better shooters out of that and it starts getting competitive, and iron sharpens iron, and then all of a sudden you've got five or six guys from Oklahoma that all shoot really well.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, and I think uh, part of that is – I mean, I do do think that uh, it seems like the people that I meet that come out of there, a lot of them all played sports or did something else to, like, make them competitive.
1: Yeah, well, for sure. Well, and that's why I started shooting anyway, you know, I – I grew up in a small town. We had baseball and basketball. That's all we had for sports. So I played baseball and basketball and I rodeoed. I I team roped and calf roped. Um, Once I got out of school in that competitive style, and actually I rodeoed in college. I was on college scholarship. uh, So I I, I was still competing in college. Once I graduated college, got a job in the oil field, really didn't have time to keep horses going, didn't have time to rope, didn't have time to go. It's like man, I need to find something that I can keep doing to be competitive and that's where that's where the long range shooting really fell in and then um you know, picked up on that pretty quick and kinda found a niche, I guess, you know, found something you're good at. It's we joke all the time and it's and it's not being arrogant, but like I just wish I was as good as I was at shooting at any other sport in the world because then I would be, you know, set for life.
2: Had <laughs> <not money>. but, <laughs> but we had to exactly be, had to be good
1: at the one thing that does, you know, we can't hardly get rich off of. We don't make a bunch of money off of, you know, pick golf or hockey or baseball, or basketball. Hell, even and roping. Ones and just, yeah, even roping. You know, we, you just signed million dollar contracts. Freak. And, but we got to be, we got to be the best at shooting.
0: I know, because people are like, oh, you must rope good. And I was like, yeah, I rope good, but frick, I don't. I
2: mean
0: right. It's not, not on the same I level shoot. I a little bit cheat. better than I rope. Let's just say yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. If I roped rope this good, I'd be freaking roping.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I started roping again here pretty recently and going a little bit, and I got to keep shooting just to pay for my roping.
0: Man, I, I love roping. There's, I mean, as soon as I got time, because your story and my story sound almost identical, you know. And, uh, yeah. I love it. And so as soon as I get more time, I'll probably be roping again, but, but not, yeah. I will, I don't think I'll ever quit shooting. It's too much fun.
2: Uh,
1: yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I, I a lot of guys go and they get really good and they kind of get burnt out on it. <laughs> and for me, you know, I've had times where I've had long stretches of matches and stuff like that and start getting a little bit burnt out on it. But I try to, sometimes I try to limit my practice to just before I'm going to go to a match where yep. I try to limit, you know, to one or two big matches a month to where I'm not just burning myself out on it um, and going all the time. You know, Jerry Karloff is a good example. You know, he kind of came up to the ranks and just got everybody. really good. You know, wasn't a great shooter to start with and practice and worked hard and worked his butt off and got really good and then, you know, shot 16 matches, 18 matches, two-day matches a year for two or three years in a row and then just burned out and it was done. I mean, just like that, sold all the shit yeah, got out of it. So, I don't, that's the one thing I was going to ask you, what do you do to help balance that to not burn See, I yourself I was just going to
0: ask you the same thing, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I figured out, because, uh, like, there's been times where, you know, you kind of get, you think you're going to get a little burned out and you get a little less motivated and a little bit, of, like, distancing yourself from it, like you're saying, I think that works, but, I don't know if it works. It's the best way to handle it for me, just yeah. just because. I mean, man, it's so much fun to kind of keep going. Sometimes you got to make hey, well, sun shines type deal. So uh,
1: yeah, yeah, not for sure. When, when you're winning, you got to keep going. Oh yeah, and then when like you got when time, you a lick rodeoing. yeah, yeah, you get on
0: a roll, and then you got the time to do it. Then it's kind of the time to do it. So yeah, but uh, a lot of it for me was. Uh, changing my perspective of what I think is fun because what I figured out is, is uh, that like the winning part is fun. Like, don't get me wrong. I love winning. I'm, I'm as competitive as anybody there is, but I kind of figured out that it's the, that for me, that if I, if I change my perspective of where, where I think or why I love it, you know, you know, like uh, the process of, of everything of getting there of being there and then the process of going through all the motions and kind of staying dialed in kind of like that grind and that yeah. slow trickle of like in endorphin release or like dopamine just kind of getting trickled yeah. into your arm and not just totally counting
1: on the huge rush at the end that the, yeah the one outcome at the end yeah. and I think you hit the nail on the head right there and I think that's huge because Especially when you get to to the level, you know, to the highest level, and, and you start going to every match expecting to win. And then all of a sudden you catch yourself and you're like, I got second or I got third, which, you know, so many people would be ecstatic to to place that high. And, and oh, yeah. that's if you're sitting there catching yourself like, man, that sucked. You know, I didn't do any good. I didn't have any fun. And then you could just, yeah, so I, I kind of got into that point. One time, that I was like, "Man, that's not even where it's about." Like, I'm just like you. I'm ultra competitive. I love to win, but I don't want the end of the day, whether me winning or not, on whether I had fun for the weekend or, you know, whether I enjoyed my weekend. Did I get to go hang out with friends? Like you said, did I get to sit there and get, have a mental grind the whole time that I worked through problems? You know. If I just completely don't shoot good, then I don't have fun. But if I still shoot good and I win, or at least I still shot good. I still feel good about it. And then you know, the, the talking crap the whole time is probably the most fun part. A hundred percent.
0: Yeah. Like there ain't no better than that. Like yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's once you once you realize that that the the the, the endorphins that it, that slow trickle the entire time is, I mean that's that's. That's the fun. And then – because at the end of the day, you're like, man, you think winning is going to be this just amazing thing that lasts forever because you just won the match, and so you're just going to be like king of the world. And But the thing is, and I'm sure you can attest to it too because, I mean, I want to win Golden Bull as bad as anybody, but you you probably realized like when you got done, you're like, man, that was freaking awesome, and you just probably pumped for a while. But you still had to wake up the next day go to work put your pants on put your one negative time on, and go to work and yep. it, it it wore off and you're like damn it I'm I'm pretty freaking cool but still ain't that cool
1: exactly yeah, that's that's exactly how it happens to you uh,
0: and and so then it's just like you just crash after and it's not a crash cuz you don't have to crash if you if right. you have the right perspective you're like man I knew that was going to happen I I it, it's it's going to wear right. off it, yep. and I go back to it and realize that man but man, it's sure fun. It's sure fun going through the process of winning, though.
1: Yes, I I completely agree. the The knowing that you did everything that you could to put yourself in that position, and then some of the things went your way, and you just knew it was your weekend. And yeah, you it, it is. It's the whole process of it.
0: But I don't want to take. It. I don't want people to think that that I'm saying that that. That I do not want to beat somebody as bad as I—I I mean, as ever—and <laughs> and I don't want people to to like be like to think that I'm like downplaying the motivation to win or anything like that. Because man, it's there, and you have to have that fire. Like if you ain't it, got, if sure. it's not like burning. You're you're not doing good. And I'm not going to tell you that I'm like happy to be second place or third place or anything but first.
1: Uh, yes. I agree. Not, I'm not necessarily happy about it, but I am just not gonna let it ruin my weekend. I'm same as you. i no matter what, just the drive to win. I'm I'm there to win, you know, anyway that not any way that I can, but I, I'm I'm there to focus and I'm there to shoot when I'm there to win, but I'm not gonna end up letting it ruin completely ruin my weekend if I don't win.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's just I just I've just realized where where the satisfaction comes from. And it's that whole process of just like even that, even that just like burning sensation that that like it's like a hunger to like win that and having that just like completely just engorging your mind for that all that time. There's a high that comes with that too. So yeah. like I I mean that feeling's addicting. Like there's a lot of stuff about it, and if, that it gets me fired up. So that's that's what's helped me to like stay away from the burnout is figure that out. And f- because then it's like wow, you kind of you kind of know where your where your meal's coming from, right?
1: Right. Yep. Cause no, I mean, I, that, that's for sure. We've seen both I, I sides done, of it. Yeah, and I've done it a little bit different way. I, I'll take breaks in between, you know. Like, for example, I haven't touched a rifle since uh, what was the last match we shot since Oklahoma. Justin's match. Yeah, since yeah. Oklahoma, I haven't touched a rifle at all. I did some brass prep today. Um kind of stay ahead my next match is hornady okay Um, so i just kind of had i kind of had a long stretch here where there weren't any close matches um there weren't any matches i was planning on going to and then hornady you know is a big ag match there's a lot of people that are uh good prizes and and it grew with a match i thought you know what i'm just gonna completely lay off here for a little bit and then about two weeks before the match, I'm going to start ramping up again. I'm going to get my rifles out. I'm going to start practicing some. I'm going to run everything out, make sure everything's running good. And then that can kind of just give my mind and, and, and you know, my family too, give them a break from me being gone shooting, from me putting that much focus into the shooting and into competing. I can completely take a break from that. I can do other things. You know, me and my boy can play bucket bulls and play baseball and play soccer ball and just play. And not me, not have to go to the loader room, me, not have to shoot anything, and just hang out with him for a while until it's time to start focusing up again. And then it's like you just got to be able to flip that switch and go right back to, you know, pick yeah. up right where you were without being too rusty. Um, so, and I think, I think, I, I think for me, I can do that because I shot a lot early on, shot a lot of rounds early on. I don't feel like I need that practice every week. I don't need that practice, you know, day to day. I feel like I can go out, I can take 20, 30, 40 rounds and get a really good quality practice in. Um, you know, don't just go out there and go through the motions, but get a really good quality practice in and be just as sharp as I would have been out of shooting shooting the whole time.
0: Yep, and I, I agree. I, I mean, I think, like, uh, there will be times where I'm trying to get better, you know, but then there's also times where you're just trying to maintain or you're trying yeah. to get right back into it, you know, yep, um, but I mean shit, I've shot so many I shot so many in the beginning, like uh shooting just local matches, just trying to get better, you know, like yeah. I don't shoot near as many local matches as I used to, but man, I mean, I've shot like almost hundred and fifty local matches <laughs> that's that's crazy, I th- well, or maybe it's hundred fifty total. And like almost a hundred local matches, like that's what it is. It's almost hundred. That's still a
1: lot. That's still a lot of local matches.
0: Yeah, I don't want to. I can remember some. It was the PRS posted my numbers, and I was like, "What the frick?"
1: I, I I do remember seeing that, and I I think I commented something about like not on there, but like just out loud when I was reading it to my wife or whoever was around. I was like, "Holy cow, this guy shot that many local matches." Yeah. And you know, I used to shoot a lot more local matches too. Um Probably not. Obviously, not near to that extent, but OPPS would have matches around here, which is Oklahoma Practical Precision Shooters. And then there was another little division up here at Woodward that would have a little local match once a month. It was like a 50 60 round deal. Really difficult match. You had big, what what they call KD lines. Okay. And so you'd have whoever was in your squad, we'd all lay down, you know, kind of like we did at Justin's and shot that troop line. Mm-hmm. Everybody'd lay down and everybody'd shoot target one. And everybody to go to target two but there was 10 targets and the scoring on these targets were two uh, points for a first round impact and one point for a second round impact but these you know i haven't shot it in several years but i'm going to say that the average target size is going to be between three and four tenths okay and and the range is going to start from about 300 yards and it's going to kind of work its way out uh zigzagging up to a thousand yards and then start panning and coming back down to about 300 yards through these 10 targets. And so, and it's in this, this, it's basically on a wind farm. Uh, (laughs) It's always windy. You know, you got a few minutes between each target engagement when you shoot. So I I think that really helped me early on to be a good wind reader and a good shooter is shooting those matches just like that. And um, I actually should go back, should go back and start shooting some of those again, just, Because I haven't been shooting as many two day matches and I could stay practiced up and, uh, you know, remember my roots up there.
0: Yeah, I don't think a lot of guys, well, uh, just as a side note, but I don't think, I think part of what made guys really good coming out of your country is troop lines. Because I think a troop line was pretty much made there, or at least what what everybody thinks of as a troop line, right? Like yeah, we didn't have a lot of that stuff when I started. Even in all the local matches, it was a lot of one target, two targets, but not like a lay down shoot five targets type deal. Right. Yeah. That 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 was not as huge a deal. You wouldn't have a whole match of them. You know, like when you go to, um, you go to freaking, Ratone, or you go to Justin's match, or you go to Kansas, you go yeah. to to Koenigs or. You know anything like that where there's just like it's just a plethora of just like hey, here's a position, shoot five targets, here yeah. here you go, you know near to far or far to near or however it is yep. left or right, but with what we think of as a troop line, that that was not as big a deal. It was like a lot of a lot of movement, a lot of positions, a lot of near far yep. targets, but not like a full troop line. Well. Yep. And there's an art Later to it.
1: There is, yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. I'll give uh, John Pinch some shit real quick, but we were shooting. I don't even remember what match it was. This is quite a while back, and he was he kept saying that troop lines are just all luck. Mm. And uh, I, we, said, I well, was there. yeah, I said, I said, then why do I always beat you on troop lines?
0: <laughs> <And> he's <laughs> like,
1: well, okay. You're, I mean, at the time, I
0: probably did agree with him, but I don't anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, there there can be an aspect of luck to it, but there's, you know, it's no different than luck on a positional stage with a fairly small target. If you get several wind switches in there or whatever, there, there's most definitely an art to shooting a troop line. <clears throat> and I think it's probably one of the most difficult stages to shoot consistently over and over and over and over, to shoot well consistently. Yeah. Um, I think once you figure it out and you kind of figure out um, – just reading the plates, seeing your shots on plates, being able to make corrections going to a different distance, and kind of seeing the lays of the land and how the wind's going to react in certain you know, instances, shooting over canyons or shooting up hills or you know, shooting into a target that's, that's protected from the wind. You start seeing stuff like that. You start getting better at those, and then you start getting that extra one point, two point, three points on every troop line. And that's where you start making up a bunch of ground because, for the most part, you know in the past everybody's gotten to where they can shoot positional now, right? Pretty much. Positional. Yeah. Positional's is not really a hard thing to teach, and it's not really a hard thing to do. It's just building a good position and breaking a good shot, and then trying to spot. You know, somewhat reading plates to stay on plate. But if the conditions doesn't change, don't change, and your rifle shooting well, and you're breaking good shots every time, you're right start every time. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so. Wait, did I say that out loud? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you might, might have to edit that out. No, uh, I don't edit. But so you, it's easy to teach people to shoot troop or to shoot positionally, because most of the time it's one or two target engagements. Now you start doing positionally in a troop line, and you start getting some. You know, it starts getting really difficult.
0: And that's when but, I I think that's 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 where
1: it's at right there. Yeah, that's and fun. I agree. That's it, fun. Yeah, and I like those mix up of stages. You know you. You can have too many true lines and too many prone stages to where it's like, "Okay, it's kind of getting monotonous, right?" So now I want something a little bit different. I but like I also, a change up. but yeah, I do too. And, and I also don't necessarily like just going and shooting one target positional, go to the next stage, shoot one target positional, go to the next stage. Then that that to I mean, that's,
0: me that's that's monotonous. That gets way monotonous faster than a five tar- a bunch of five target lay down and shoot stages.
1: Exactly. So I like matches that. Have a lot of everything, yep. right? A lot of a lot of lay down and shoot five targets. Shoot these five targets, position over here. Shoot a near, far, near here, or shoot a near, middle, far here. And and those matches to me are the most fun because it keeps you thinking every stage. You can't just go through the motions because it changes up your sequences, change up, and you got to think about it constantly.
0: Yeah, I I I agree. I think that's that was what made Ratone last year one of the funner matches I didn't shoot it this year so I can't speak to it this year but last year I thought that made that match really
1: yeah, good. yeah I, I agree and I, I didn't I didn't get to go shoot it this year either but I heard it was it was even better than it was last year so
0: no oh, good because I mean I, I mean because you remember when we shut off there was a lot of like little tack table stages where it was like positional uh yeah. troop lines there was uh weird positions like a. uh Troop lines, there was like a uh, KYL off of barrels yeah. or uh, or like culverts, you know, like it just cool stuff. Also, the lay down and shoots, but you know, yeah. there was some terrain to it. When well, I
1: mean, and even the lay down and shoot, it wasn't the same every time. You know, you'd have you know, lay down like a troop line, and the next one might be like a panning, you got to shoot over here, then over there, then over here, and over there. Yep. And then you'd have one that was like a, you had to shoot one shot near to far and then one shot far to near.
0: Well, and I guess that about Kansas too, this year too. I, I yeah. forget about that. Kansas was a, a same type of deal. And it, yeah, obviously it me that... and you did pretty good
1: at it. <laughs> <laughs> we did pretty well. Yeah. Sorry. Everybody else on your points. Yep. Um, yeah. And, and those are, those are the matches that I really like. And, and that, that match here at Kansas has been, you know, basically this, not the same match, but that same setup and that, you know, get a lot of variation and stages every year they've had it. So, yeah, not, I'm really excited that the finale is going to be there this year because it's just such a cool place to shoot and, and I keep forgetting good place that. to shoot. Those, it those makes me excited and,
0: every time I think about it.
1: I know, because
0: that's like and a then, place where you know you show up and it's going to be a battle, and it will be who's the best shooter that day or those two it, days.
1: It, yeah, exactly. That's just it. You know, there's not going to be near as much luck played involved in it, especially because you know all the top guys are going to be in the same squads. Yep. So it's not like you're shooting opposite sides of the ranges. Which, so yeah so whoever shoots shows up and shoots the best.
0: Yep. And I'm not saying there's like there's not always, like luck has something to do with everything, right? It doesn't matter if you shoot back to back all day or what, but, but, right. it generally luck is not as big a factor I think as people want to believe.
2: Yeah. No, like, I agree.
0: like it usually goes around and comes around. Sometimes it it. Yeah, you, you get more one day than you, you think, and then the next day it, go, it goes back in the other direction, and and then sometimes, you know, you, you come out on the sour end of it, but the next time you come out on the better end of it. So it doesn't really – I think in the end it washes out.
1: Evens out in the end.
0: Yep. yep. But the finale, I do think it's important that, it's, that uh, it ends up being pretty fair, and I do think they try to make it the, as best they can. Yeah. So – Yep, it agree. is what it is, but um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I, I agree. I think, I think uh, we have a pretty similar opinions on when it comes to matches. Yeah, are you you going to the AG Cup this year? Yep, yep. I got that all sorted out. That's good. There was two things, like, because our fourth year schedule was a bunch of just clinical rotations where you know, right. My last rotation was, uh, equine surgery. Now I'm in equine medicine and then I'm going to do shelter med next. Everybody has to do shelter med cause it's just straight surgery. So you just do spades and neuters for, uh, two weeks straight all day long. Yeah. And so I got to go to Seattle for that, uh, uh, Monday, but anyways, um, so we just rotate through all those and, uh, you get nine weeks off that you can space anywhere out in the year if you can kind of fit it in between these rotations and stuff. And I made sure that the finale and the AG Cup were off. So
1: yeah, that's good. That's good. I'm kind of excited. I don't know anything about this place that it's at this Clinton plantation, um, but I don't
0: think anybody yeah. does. They never had a match there.
1: Yeah, which is kind they're, of wild. I think they're, they're good in. Kind of, yeah. It's kinda of wild that they found a place that was like that kind of virgin ground type.
0: Yeah, I think it's freaking legit. So,
1: so. I think I think it'd be cool. awesome. Um hopefully they'll be able to mix it up a little bit like we talked about and mix you know, put a big variation of stages in.
0: Yeah. Oh I I who's running it,
1: do you know? I don't know who the master director is. I mean, obviously Tom's gonna have a big part to do with it, but I don't know who's actually like sitting up and directing it. Hmm
0: interesting well i guess we'll find out so i had two questions i've been thinking about um i because you talk about you know you you like basically two weeks two three weeks before match or whatever you're going to kind of ramp up your your practice yeah yeah you want to run me through what that looks like
2: yeah
1: so i try to do not more than 20 to 40 rounds in a day but I want to go find something that I'm struggling with or what it where I feel like I need the most work on at that particular time. And I'm going to use those rounds just for that, for that day. Okay. Um, like I'm not going to go just, you know, kind of piddle around and shoot a bunch of stuff. Like I want to, like, I, a lot of times if I, if I feel like I need to work on wind, uh, I'll go out and I'll shoot my targets. I, I won't even pull my Kestrel out other than to get, you know, just update my environmental on my, uh, Ford Off um, and, and I can touch on that too I, I run Ford Off the Ford Off app on my phone the Hornady Ford off, and then I just use a Kestrel to get the environmentals to, to pull that off of it to put it on my phone Um, and so I'll get that but I won't actually take any wind readings at all and I'll just try to feel the wind and I won't even put actually put any wind in my program and I'll just try to feel the wind and judge by what the wind's doing on what I need to hold more of an in, instinctual kind of deal and believe it or not, if you do that enough several times, you get really good at it. Um, and 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 also, like whenever I first started, I would carry my kestrel around with me, and I'd just stand there and I'd try to feel what the wind's doing. And be like, mm, that's an eight mile an hour wind, and then I'd hold my kestrel up and see what it is. And be like, oh no, that's actually a ten. And you do that, you know, pretty often. And it's kind of a perishable skill. You gotta you gotta bring it back out and do it every now and then but you get really good at calling the wind within about a mile per hour almost all the time. Yep. And so I do that quite a bit um, just to try to kind of bring that instinctual shoot back. Cause you know, in a match, I'm probably not ever going to do that, but at least I can look at my stuff and be like, does that make sense? Like, no, it doesn't really make sense. Or yeah, it does make sense. (laughs) Stuff gets off. Anyway. So, you know, I may lay down a shoot, you know, 20 rounds prone uh, at various distances, and the next time I go shoot, I may just set up a ladder and a sawhorse and a spool or something like that, and shoot. You know, all the rounds that I have loaded for that session, positioning. Um, before most of the time, before AG Cup, mm-hmm. I will work on movement. Yeah. More than anything. Yeah. Just because you can, you know, you can save most of your time on movement. Yep. Right. You don't want to necessarily. I don't necessarily want to shoot fast. Yeah. I just want to move in between shots fast. Yep. So I've been, you know, last year I didn't didn't win but one, uh, but I've been pretty lucky and won, you know, been able to win stages at AG Cup. And part of the reason is, is because I go out and I just practice movement. Yep. You know, I, I practice, I'm positioning my bag, you know, I, I envision where I'm going to move before I shoot the stage. I practice, I move my bag and set my rifle up quickly and building positions quickly so that I can take a, a second longer and break a good shot. You know, maybe I need to look at conditions or something. Um, but I'll, you know, I'll do that I'll, in in some instances. But I, I usually don't, you know, I usually don't go out and practice and shoot some positional and then shoot some prone and then practice some movement. I try to do all that thing at one time, and I feel like it's more productive. And I, I, I like to use the analogy, it's like Michael Jordan. If he went out and, and played a game and he shot really bad on the free throw line, when he got to practice the next day, what did he do? Yeah. He didn't go out and shoot a bunch of threes and dunk the ball a couple of times. He went and got on the free throw line and shot free throws until he felt like he got his free throws back. So I try to kind of approach it that same way. Try to try to get a quality practice because it doesn't take a lot of rounds if you do yeah. it like that and get a quality practice. You know, if you're kind of jumping around here and there, before you know it, you burn 60 rounds. You're like, well, what did I actually even practice? Um, one thing that I struggle, uh, I say struggle with, one thing I don't do really well is I don't follow through with the trigger really well. And so sometimes, you know, whenever I'm getting ready for a match, I'll take 20 rounds and basically all I'm focusing on is breaking that shot and then pinning the trigger. Okay. Um, I do have a theory on that though, that with the – so I run a Bix and Andy trigger. That's something I didn't touch on either. I run a Bix and Andy Taxport Pro. And with a Bix and Andy, there is no back wall. Mm-hmm. So so once it breaks, it's just pretty much a free trigger, right? Yep. I have a theory that on those types of triggers, follow-through is not as um, necessary because that trigger, once it breaks, is free to move, and so that trigger moving freely is not manipulating the rifle in any way, whether I'm pressing it all the way to the back or letting it off. Whereas if you have, like, um, a dual or uh trigger tech that has a hard stop wall behind it, you almost kind of have to follow through and, and pin it right there. Cause if you, if you're moving it around and you can actually manipulate your rifle and I, I've actually talked to the guys at bullet central and we talked to, talked about it. And I was like, man, why is there no adjustment to adjust this back wall? And he's like, why do you want it to hit a back wall? I get and this it. Comes from, Yeah. And this comes from the rest world to where, pretty much all of them run it that way. They don't want it to hit. They want when they want it to break, they want it to just be a completely free trigger because then it doesn't manipulate the rifle at all. And so I have a theory, and maybe it's just justification because I'm bad about not following through, but I have a justification that it doesn't matter on the follow through so much on triggers like that. But what does matter is not slapping the trigger, but you break a good shot and then whatever you do with your finger after, you know, really doesn't manipulate the rifle anyway. So...
0: Yeah, I don't know that I agree. We run the same trigger, <laughs> but I but I agree. I do agree that there's obviously we have less influence. Yeah. But I I think that's a I think the the bigger booger flicking or whatever is a symptom of a of a bigger problem. But that's yeah, just my wow. my opinion.
1: No doubt, and, and no doubt, I know that it's something that I try to work on all the time. Like I said, it's just a bias justification for. It's yeah. that,
0: I mean, everybody's got those. It is what it is. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. cause, I mean, I'm sure, uh, yeah, we can all figure, find that stuff. But, but at the same time, I don't, I mean, it's hard to argue with your results too. So it's like, well, right. you know, what I mean, you shoot good. Like, it's, definitely i mean clay's the same way he shoots good so yeah you know what I well mean? clay's
1: the complete opposite of me he gets a run at it and slaps it but he but he yeah. falls through really well
0: yeah you you do like the tap tap flick yep and then yep. and then and not flick the trigger backwards you 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 make the gun go Push off pop. and then yeah. flick off of it that's right yep. which that's what i call booger flicking and yep. then clay does the punch well it's that's not right. it's not even what i would call a punch that's a it's a whack because a punch yeah, I, I think fl- of as a punch is when you say when you got your finger on the trigger and you say now, right? And I and so I think and then a lot of times like when I punch I flick, like yeah. So I do what you do as I because right. I because I'm having to tell the gun to go now and then and then my my finger ends up jumping off.
1: I think probably part of mine. I was I was actually trying to pinpoint when this started and why, and I think part of the thing was, is I run pretty light on my hand that I'm running my trigger with, Okay, you know, my, 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 uh, strong side. Yep. And as I think before, as the rifle recoiled, whenever I was kind of, when i would kind of free recoil, it, you'd break it. And then the trigger would actually move away from your finger anyway. So I just got used to that feel of the trigger, not touching my finger after the recoil went off
0: i I get it, I mean, should i I did the like almost the same thing for a while, what you do, yeah, like yeah. i like and I know exactly yeah it's a it's an easy thing for me to get into, so I have to like well, constantly it, and, work on that, that's what I yeah. constantly work on,
1: yeah and and when I go practice and work on that, I notice it at you know at the next match or something like that, I'll do it for a match or two, and then it kind of go reverts back to the old ways. and it kind of comes off, so
0: I mean but i I know I've watched you uh win a golden bullet doing it, so <laughs> yeah I was sitting right there watching it, so I mean, yeah. I get it like it's not like it's not like uh you it cannot be done like and so yeah i d so it, it sometimes it's like well what's the what's the point you know right, but for some reason, I do feel like there is maybe a benefit of of of
1: not but uh and and I don't disagree with you at all, I mean, I don't think there's a replacement for good fundamentals i think I think that there's just maybe the we found ways to get around it. I do do think maybe the way we drive, you know, like prone when I'm driving my rifle uh, and I've got good shoulder pressure in it. You know, whatever I do with that finger probably doesn't manipulate the rifle very much. And that's probably how I get away with it. But that being said, it doesn't mean that I don't need to go ahead and practice and get my good fundamentals back.
0: Yeah. Um, The other thing I think when you, when your hand moves under recoil, I, think, I don't think it's the trigger finger that manipulates the rifle as so much your palm.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: That's because like your whole hand kind of reacts usually. Like It's like mm-hmm. you almost open your hand up, and then you might push the rifle one way or the other. That's my theory. I don't know that that's true, but I do feel like when I pin it, I
1: see more. Uh, yeah, I, I do completely agree. And that's one thing that we teach in class, actually, is, is when you pin it, Pin it to win it. Yeah, yeah. pin it to win it. And it's kind of counterintuitive because you're pulling backwards on the gun while you're still trying to drive the gun forward. But it's just another point of contact with that rifle that helps you control it. I I completely agree. I see better whenever I pin it.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, because I – yeah, I (laughs) – I don't know. It's a good thing we talk about this because I think it's uh, one of those things that I think sometimes gets kind of glossed over, and don't. I think it's pretty important, but I don't think all the time people will actually focus on it. Right. Where that's what I mean in my practices, like you know, I am similar to you. I I try to come up with something I need to practice, and I go and I practice. But then, but underlying the theme of almost every practice is the trigger pull for me. Because yeah. I, I I default, and it, it about where I think you default to. Yep,
1: yeah, default just like I do.
0: Yep, I mean it is what it is. Uh, other question, um, or like kind of a follow up. So you say you only shoot twenty to forty, maybe sixty rounds. What like how do you like how many rounds are you shooting? Like mini stages off of stuff? Are yeah. you shooting what? I mean, I do yeah, a lot normally of shot, two shot.
1: So, yeah, normally many stages, but I'll do like, you know, like if I'm going to shoot a PRS barricade, typically I won't sit down and shoot two shots in one position. Okay. Um, Because it it kind of depends. If I shoot a shot and I see the shot, you know, if I I know I saw it on plate and I could, if I'm center of a plate or something like that, I don't feel like I'm going to benefit anything from the second shot. So I'm just going to go ahead and move and build another position and go. And I feel like you can basically double your amount of practice by not taking two shots at one position.
2: Yep. Um, And then, you know, you
1: you just take one shot each move, unless it's like a near far or something, if I'm doing like a near far or something like that. Normally uh, there's not really a big scientific way of doing it, but normally as long as I don't have to run my gun out, you know, it's just kind of whatever I load. If I load 20 rounds or 30 rounds or whatever, I'll, Pick something out to where I can utilize and use those rounds. Um, you know, a lot of my practice ends up, you know, right before a match ends up just me running my gun out, make sure everything is lined up, my data is lined up, uh, my elevation's running true uh, right before a match. And sometimes that's sometimes, you know, when I'm busy at work and busy with family stuff, that's all I have time to do uh, for a practice right before. So,
0: Well, and I think that's honestly in the way that the game is now. Was well, it dialed in as your stuff needs to be? Because I think targets are definitely trending small compared to like when when I started.
1: And and just I mean even to a year or two ago they're starting to trend a lot smaller. Oh you yeah, know, I remember when I started you'd go shoot a and M match and you're shooting full size zip six up to seven hundred yards. Yeah, that shit don't happen no more. And that's not the case anymore. You know, you go to K and M, you're shooting half moa troop lines and stuff and even some of these windier matches you know like clay did his match up here and basically every single target on the entire range was four tenths wide which is a perfectly hittable which is a perfectly hittable target but it's not an easy target
0: no it's definitely not easy especially you know the way you just got to pay attention to everything and that's what the level the detail in which you need to resolve uh where your bullet hit in a match like that yes. is that's, that's where I think people go wrong is they're like, they're like, Oh, it's impossible. I'm like, no, it's not impossible. Just pay attention. Like, that's yeah. all it is. I mean, people are like, how do you see that? Or something, I wish that's, that's the question. Next question I wanted to talk about is, is, uh, how do you like, so, cause people describe this. And I don't know if I can frame this question right to get to, to ask it properly, but I'm going to try I, People say you'll hear this all the time. At least I hear this. They're like, "Man, I feel like I saw the bullet really good today." Or somebody will say, "I didn't see the bullet as good today." And yeah. you're one of the most consistent shooters in the game, and one of the best ones um, in the game. Period. Like nobody can really argue with that. And uh, so I, that means that you must see the bullet. Well, the assumption is by most people that that you see more than other people, right? That's what people yeah. think. I don't think that's the case, Uh, but like, what is why? Why do people think that? Or maybe, and or what's your theory on that? Or or maybe, do you think you see more than other people, or
1: is there something else to it? I don't. I don't know that I would necessarily say that I see more than other people. I think I just have the experience and know what to look for. On seeing because to me, seeing where you hit a plate and making these micro corrections on plate is all putting a lot of p- puzzle pieces together. Yep. Right. So it's it's one, did you see the reaction of the bullet start on the plate? And then if you didn't or did, then you start piecing together where did the pus come off the plate? Which way did this plate rock? You know, how is this plate hanging and which way should it rock if I hit certain areas on the dune? You kind of piece it all together. And I think you just do it enough that that process becomes instant and it's, it doesn't take any time to, for your brain to process it and you start doing it. So I don't think I necessarily see any more than they do. I think I just process it in a different way than most people do. And there are days where I'll go shoot and I'm not seeing well, right? Okay. I'm not seeing my bullet hit the plate well. Um, I'm not piecing together you know, the reaction of the plate really well. Um, you know, I'm not catching that I'm getting close to edges and, and usually those are days where I end up dropping some points that I shouldn't drop because I'm not seeing as well. And that's one thing that I've been working on a lot this year actually is trying to figure out what the common denominator is on the days that I do see well versus the days I don't see well. Is it a lack of focus? Is it a lack of hydration? Um, you know, is it just you're just having an off day? Is, I do. Think something... Those are the main things that go into it. I do too. I think. I think it's focus. I think hydration because I think the, the better you're hydrated, the better you're going to see. The better your eyes are going to work. Yeah. Um, the better your brain is going to process what's happening. Um, were you? T- was I tired? You know, did I get a good night's sleep the night before?
2: Yeah. Not maybe. so much this year because my kids that... gotten older. But last say... year,
1: I... last year it was really tough because I wasn't sleeping well. You know, we had a, a toddler in the house that didn't sleep very well i was up multiple times in the night and then i just got to notice and even when i would leave and go to a match i wouldn't sleep well at night and then it just it's like you were just kind of in a fog all day because you're just so tired the whole time
0: gosh uh, i hope that i and, get to
1: sleep or then i can start sleeping because i ain't been able to do it for years yeah so i think i think that's part of it i think if you can get you know good rest it's kind of funny i always used to say I, I shoot better with a touch of hangover you know, you can go out and yeah, drink it, a little bit, and, and and, and get a little touch of hangover and shoot better. But I think part of it is because you come out the next day, and and maybe you're not deeper sleep, high strung. Yeah, I think you slept a little better, not quite as high strung next day. You're a little more relaxed. Um, and I think that's all part of part of being able to focus, part of being able to see.
0: Okay cuz that it's a little bit of where what I've come up with is I tell people I, that we see the exact same thing so i don't know what you're talking about and i don't mean that yeah. being a dick i think more along the lines of no like our our nervous system actually if yeah. i mean if we were if we were sitting there like our nervous system is going to pick up the exact same image yeah right like yeah people think maybe recall management all that stuff i don't think so i mean i think maybe a little bit but it's not to the degree they think it's uh, a matter yeah, of I agree it's a matter of gathering the information and then putting it together not everybody's doing that at the same level because the information's there to use it's just how do you utilize that information like what's the degree in which you process what you're seeing exactly which i think you're able to do that at a, a very elite level
1: yeah no i i think so too and i think um you know, some people think, well, my eyes aren't as good, and that, I think you know, vision does have something to do with it. Yes, um, but I, I, I agree. I think it's just the way you process it. And, I, and you know, part of it comes from, you know, maybe our brains just process certain things faster, and maybe it's just because we have a lot of experience in looking for that specifically.
2: Yeah, I don't you know, think it's a speed of your brain. Shoot twenty thousand
1: rounds. Yeah, a guy can go shoot twenty thousand rounds. And if he's not looking for that, then he doesn't know to look for that, and he doesn't know to process that. But if you are like, okay, this is what I need to focus on, this is what I need to do, I need to be able to see this, and you do that for 20,000 rounds, then I think you're going to be one of the best in the world
0: to see that. Yeah, so I think it's a difference between seeing and looking.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Like, what are you looking for? Like, it's not, it's not a matter of what you saw. Like, you saw everything I saw. The difference is, what did you look for? Like so, I, when I get those days, you know, when you, you you're like, man, I'm not seeing it today, or you hear somebody say that. So anytime I think that, my mind and I I always the next the next round that goes off on my gun, I pause and I think, where did that one go? And if I take that two seconds, then it make it forces my brain to put all the pieces together, and then I make a decision. It went here before I run my bolt, before I do all that stuff. That's yep. that seems to be the 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 ticket. Is It's not that I'm not seeing, it's that I'm not processing.
1: I, I think you're absolutely right because I have caught myself a few times doing just what you said, not processing it, and I'm already ran the bolt moving on. I'm like, well, I don't even know what, what happened on that bullet. I need to sit here and watch it. and If I can get back into that mind frame of watching it and processing it, then typically I'll pick it right back up. and you know, I'm good for at least that stage, if not the rest of the day.
0: Yeah, I was talking to Seth Howard on the phone yesterday and we were we were talking about this and uh he was like uh what I, I anyways when i was um talking to him about it i i just said you know that i will do that and i was like man what what exactly did i just see and there's like these days where when i get off the stage and if i can't remember wh- where exactly every bullet went that's when i start getting scared yeah. And then I'm like, shiz. That mean that means I'm I, I saw it. But the question is is I, I obviously wasn't processing it because I didn't at least to the degree like that I actually said, Okay, the bullet went right here and so I made this decision. And and there's a difference between when I get off a of stage and I'm like, Man, I don't know where those went and it's generally because I didn't do that sort of processing versus when I'm when I go, Okay, the bullet went here and I made a decision based off the information that I saw, and then I moved the bullet here. Yep. That seems to be. So it's a it's a matter of just like, simply asking myself that question. At least that's what helps me come back and be like, okay, help me see.
1: Yeah, no, no, it makes, it makes perfect sense. Right along the lines of what I try to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which I fi- I figured, but I wanted to see what your opinion is on it because it seems like a lot of people just think it's like this voodoo thing and
1: yeah well they just think that our eyes are so much better than everybody else's
0: yeah we must have like 20 20
1: 25 yeah and we're just seeing this magical thing happen on there but it is it's just it's just a piece of the puzzles you know i get asked a lot how often do i see trace i don't you know i guess i could probably see trace every time i wanted to but i rarely look for trace okay Bye. You know, I'm I'm i my focus is more on the target and where the bullet's hitting on target, not where the trace is. Now, there's a few times instances where I'll sell out for trace. You know, if a target skyline and it's a first shot or something like that, um, where where you don't have any kind of backstop if you miss, I might sell out for trace in case I miss. I'll know what side of the plate at least I'm on. Yep. <clears throat> but it's pretty rare that I'll sell out for trace. You know, and typically I'm not not.
0: I'm glad you say it is sell out for trace because. I always Uh, tell people, I'm like, you see what you look for. And so (laughs) I'm like, man, if you're looking for trace, it's real hard to see where a boat is when you're looking at the wake.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's kind of strange, but I, I tell people this sometimes when they ask. And to me, when I'm really in the zone and I'm really focused, I'll see it all, but the trace and everything else has happened peripherally. Right? I'm not actually looking for trace. I'm looking at the target, but my brain is processing at a frequency, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, to where everything okay. looks like it's in slow motion and the bullet comes out. I see the trace of the bullet all the way in, and then I'm still looking at the target and I see it go all the way in the target and see a splash. Um, I like to call it hyper-focused, yeah. but it's 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 a hard state to get in and I don't even know I don't know how you get in and out of that state I think where its you conditions do that I think it is too I think I think that's part of it I think that is part
2: of it
0: because I man I can, I know exactly what you're talking about cuz I, I yeah. don't get me wrong I do not look at trace I don't look for it I I always figure I'm looking at the target and I'll catch trace and, yeah. and then because if I always feel like if I'm looking for trace I'll see trace and I'll catch the target sometimes you know what I mean yeah
1: yeah I, I completely agree yeah and 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 I think it's infinitely more important to see where that bullet is hitting on the target than it is to see what's happening that bullet, you know, halfway through the flight.
0: Yep. Yeah. No. Yeah. Because I I don't know. For at least for me, like man, it's like when I'm staring at the the trace, like and you're trying to watch it come down into it, like you're we're talking about things that are happening happening in in uh, that are measured in you know under a tenth of a second, right? Right. Like you know, time of flight to 400 yards might only be 0. 0.4 seconds, right? Right. So like, it's it's a very small window of opportunity to be able to see this stuff. And then where your people are thinking that they're going to look at the trace at the apex, then their eyes going to snap back to the target, and then they're going <laughs> right. to and then they're going to see where the bullet is and shoot. Most of the time, when you see it at the apex, the bullet's actually already at the target. So yeah,
1: yeah, because I mean, you're seeing the wake behind the bullet.
0: Oh. Yeah. So you're like, man. Uh, yeah, it just doesn't work that way. So if you look at the target and and just watch for it, in the, your periphery, that's where, if you're going to see yeah. trace, because, I mean, I'm not a, like, I just tell people, don't even look for it. Like, sometimes, because right. I think that, uh, yeah, it's there. Obviously, it's there, but I just think it is such a small factor in whether or not you're going to hit the next target.
2: Right.
1: It, it, it's a lot smaller factor in whether you're going to hit the next target than... Actually, seeing trying to trying to piece the puzzle together on what's happening on the plate.
0: Yep. Um. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's pretty. Pretty good. The other, the only other thing is, I'd like to run through real quick. I know we're kind of getting long on this one, but it's. I think it's been pretty good. But uh, how? How do you come up with your wind for a troop line? Because I mean, obviously, you're good at them, and so just. Like, what's your style?
1: How do you do it? So, I basically want to take – I want to come up with something close to a minimum or maximum on my wind. So, I will – sometimes I'll capture it. You know, it kind of depends on how the day is on the field. And I like to write multiple columns down. So, I will come up with whatever I think the maximum wind is at that moment or even could be. You know, I may 10 columns down, which would be like a minimum or maximum, somewhat of an average. And I may go one column above and one column below, depending on how gusty the wind is for that day. Um, and then I'll just set it up off that. So let's say you you're going to usually wind's... run
0: three columns, right? You're saying? I'll run at least
1: three columns, yeah.
0: Sometimes you go five.
1: Sometimes I'll go four or five. Because sometimes you get an average, and let's say the wind has been gusty, your average has been 12. And it's gusted up to 20, but it really hasn't got below 10. So I still kind of want that average. So I may not write a, a low column. You know, I'll write one column below my average, but I might not go below that. But yeah. I'll go on the high side. Has gusted up higher, and so I just kind of go on a feel for that. But I'll write at least no less than three wind columns down. Um, sometimes four, usually not more than five, because then you're just kind of you got a lot of them. Uh, Stuff on you know that card, you kind of start running out of room. <coughs> me. So, you know, if the wind let's say let's say my average has been fifteen miles, and the
2: maximum
1: uh twenty, I don't. Depending on the, uh, it depends on the target distance. If the targets are you know a mid range four five hundred yards six hundred yards, <clears throat> I may still I may just ride a, a 10, 15, 20 down. But if the targets are going out further and you're saying like this is a thousand yards, I don't want that big of a jump on my wind columns. So then I might go, I'll probably break it down in three mile per hour increments. And so I do like a 15, 18, 21, and then go the other way, you know, a couple of columns. Yep. So that way, that way I don't have, I don't get to my last target and, and I see that going from, you know, a 15 to a 20 takes me from a mil and a half to 2.2 mils. There's a big gap between there. I want to be a little bit more exact than that. Cause I, cause on a troop line, a big deal on it is trying to get your wind figured out before you go to the next target. Right. Yep. So let's say I have my wind figured out and I was, um, you know, at that particular time as a 17 miles an hour, Well, yeah, it's not that hard to do the math and extrapolate, you know, between your 15 and your 20 to kind of get the middle ground, but it does take a little bit of time and it does take some mental processing to do the math on it. Whereas if I had an 18 mile an hour there anyway, that 18 is probably going to be good enough to hit it and, or I just have to shave a 10th off of it. So it's pretty easy, quick math. And I don't have to use a lot of mental capacity on the clock doing that because, it doesn't really matter. Most people get dumb when the clock starts, right? I think everybody, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm guilty of it too. Yep. So the less you have to do on the clock, the better off you are. So I prefer more information than less information for my data.
0: Okay. You're. I think we do. I mean, my default is exactly what you're saying. So it sounds like you're you're gonna make your brackets. Uh, to where they're no wider than your smallest target and generally at least a tenth within them,
1: yes, so that's like correct. if you
0: got a four a ten a four tenth target at a thousand that the mile per hour between say so, so that means if you have to break it down to where it's only eighteen and tw- 2 mile an hour brackets where yeah. you you yeah. know if you're eighteen and you got a four tenth target if you're eighteens say it's uh two point one and your twenty is uh two point four, that's gonna be the minimum acceptable deal, yes. right? You're not gonna go to three mile an hour where it's uh two point one and now two point six at twenty one or something like that. So that yeah. so now all of a sudden your bracket is five tenths and your target's only four tenths.
1: Yep, yeah, that's correct.
0: If that's yeah. your farthest target or, or the smallest one, I guess we would say.
1: Yeah. Further, or smallest. I mean, I just, I just don't, yeah, you, I just don't want my brackets to get too big, yeah, to where, to where I have to either do math or do a quick guess in between. I want to have something pretty concrete to where the the less I have to think on the clock, yeah. the better.
0: That's kind of why I like. I've I've gone a lot to where if I can get away with it, I try to go with two mile an hour brackets. I did a lot in Oklahoma because it was kind of it was a little bit more variable right so i ran yeah, a lot right. of three mile an hour brackets yeah but i like two mile an hour because then it's like you can you feel like you can get uh you can call the wind to a mile per hour right
1: yeah and, and you know i agree that and that's what clay really likes to do too he he does two mile per hour increments almost exclusively two yeah. or four because he doesn't like the uneven i but, don't mind threes I don't mind. I, I do threes. I do threes probably the vast majority of the time because usually that keeps you within your smallest target size, depending on what your distance is. And and for me, I can get a little bit more information written down on my card with four columns doing three mile per hour than I can do for two mile per hour. Yep. Yeah, I can't pin it down to an exact mile per hour. But I can get it basically within a mile per hour and a half, and that most of the time that's pretty dang pinpointed. So.
0: And you can cheat it one way or the other and get your mile it, per hour if you need to.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. It seems to be pretty three mile an hour most of the time is going to get the job done, and you can cover a lot in four in like that's twelve miles an hour in four columns. Yes. Yeah, like exactly. you can you can cover a lot of country in that, so I think yeah. that's the way. I and mean, um, anything else, like say. Like in France, was there anything you was doing as far as like uh, to speed it up? Is there anything you were doing to like simplify Because I know for me, I, it takes me a while sometimes, you know, you're like, man, I just hit with, you know, 0. .4 and I went up there with 0. .3, hit with yeah. .4 on my first target. So what does that mean for the next one? And I look down at my arm board and then I'm like, okay, Find point four, point four, okay, drop down to the next one. Okay, I need a whole point six.
1: Yeah, so what I so in those kind of instances what I do quite a bit, especially on like a time crunch like that, where we had a lot of single target engagements and a lot of, you know, uh pretty tight time to do it, is I will just try to look and see, okay, what is my increment between targets? So, from target one to target two, I need to add a tenth, right? Yep. Whether it's a whether it's a 12 mile an hour, or an 18 mile an hour, it essentially is
0: it's about the same. Yep.
1: So, then I will dial in my win for my first target, right? I will hold that and then I, I will analyze what happened on that first target. Okay. I hit pretty centered, means I need to add one tenth going to the next one. So, I just dial my elevation and then hold a tenth, right? And then, okay, I need to add another tenth of this one. And then, as you go out, then it becomes two tenths. Okay. Now I need to add two tenths. And so, Try to do that way, and I try to get that in my mind before I ever shoot, so that I don't even have to look at my armboard, board. As long as I don't have to make a major correction, right now. If I took my first shot and I need to make a big correction, I'll make a correction and then look at, you know, just quickly look down the line and say, okay, it's it's basically the same, right? I need add one tenth for the first three targets, then I need to go ahead and add two for target four, and then at that point just add one more for target five or whatever. Um, yep. But where where it's short on time like that, and I got to keep my head. That's how I do it. Which France made it even harder because you know some of those "quote unquote" troop lines we had on there were a ten-target engagement, one shot each hit to move on. So you had to try to keep track of that. And then for me, I memorized my dope too.
0: <laughs> See, and I—I so
1: would—I I think like on one of them, I dialed target two. So then I held under for target one, on for target two, and then remember my dope for three, four. And five, and then after that, I was able to just go in and dial because I, because I saved myself enough time early on to where I could go on and do it. But then I was having to keep track of what how much I, wind I jumped each target to for the same deal. Unfortunately, you know, yep. when we shot there, there wasn't a ton of wind, so we never were, you know. I just
0: use that as an day example because it's so tight, you know. That that yeah, was like yeah. the the time limits, I guess, are so small. Yeah. It sounds like we do almost the same thing I just call it the add method or whatever because you just look okay. at the splits between doesn't between target one and target two no matter if it's 12 miles an hour 18 miles an hour or whatever
2: right
0: and even if you go with your average well then it might be a half a tenth difference both ways right right yep. if you have a if your average is 16 and you think your minimum is 12 and your maximum is 18 and you look on there and it's like it's a I always think it's point one or like one two one one two two or whatever if that's what it is the ads are then I then I only have to remember that right yeah that that's it yeah yep then I write my dope on the turret so that's sounds like very similar that away and I think there's I I do think there's a time and a place for that type of method right
1: yeah for sure I I actually do that quite a bit me too Um, You know, I like to dial wind, but there's a lot of times where, you know, let's say at Justin's match at the Oki Showdown, where you have a troop line that's not a long troop line. So where your first target's like 400 and your last target's, you know, 700. Yeah. So it's really at at each increment, it's only about a tenth in between. There's a lot of times I'll just dial my first target and then I'll just hold the tenths on the other one because it's easy because if I shoot my first target and I hit center or – Even if I'm a little bit strong, then I can just take that same wind call to the next target, knowing that I need to, you know, I'll hit it, and then knowing that my first one was strong means there's a little less wind, so then I won't add another full tenth to the other one. I'll probably just, you know, use a word I don't like, but favor instead of going a full tenth, I'll favor, so I'll do like half a tenth hold, yep, like that. And so I, I I do that quite a bit, really. Instead of dialing, you know, every single target, I'll I'll dial the first target on a troop line. And then, you know, swag, especially if they're they're not a big span and they're they're all in line and they're not, a, you know, a big amount of difference in distance, it's pretty easy to do a because Because then you're still never holding very far away from the center of your reticle anyway. Yep. Because by the time you get to the last target, you're at five-tenths at the most. Yep. Um,
0: so here's a question I, I – because I don't know. I obviously don't know if you've done it. I've thought about this. Because this would be the one thing I would think would be kind of cool about dialing is if you use this method. Have you ever tried, like, say your first win calls .3, and let's just use my one one two two. So that means, in my mind, I would go up there and I. You always know your first win call, right? Like you've been sitting there agonizing over it for an hour. So, Rare. like, you got .3 mashed in your brain. So all you have to remember is one one two two. It's pretty easy. Right. So you go up there yep. and you hit. And it's okay, and, like, say it's 0. .4 is what you needed. So then you go to the next one, and you're like, okay, so 0. .5. That hits good. And basically you just run it out. So then it's 0. .5, yeah. 0. .6, 0. .8, and 1.0. That's your yeah. all your win calls for the stage is what it ends up being. Have you ever thought about, um, like, so say you dial your first one, and then – um instead of doing what i'm saying where you where you remember 1122 two, if you just remembered yeah. 1 2 point .4 and then that would be point .6 so all you had to remember is 121246 and then instead of making corrections uh with your reticle or your holds or whatever, like I would do, and add to it. If you just reached up to your turret and just went, okay, that, you just added the tenth, and then just went one, two, four, six.
1: That that's typically what I do off the first shot. Yep, I'll I'll go ahead and reach up and dial that correction after the first shot. If I, you know if it's not centered, if I see it's the tenth or two left or right,
2: uh-huh. like let's
1: say I shoot the first target and I hit the very left edge and it's two tenths, I'll just reach up there and roll that two tenths in because then because then my ads are the same still.
0: Yeah, because now and whether you yeah. think. Because then it would be like yeah, well,
1: like I say, one, two, four, six. That's and and then and then it and then it becomes the same deal. Yeah, it becomes the same deal. You don't have to think on the clock because you already have that in your head anyway. So now you don't have to like completely retrain your brain on what you just basically mentally practice. And you just reach up there and run it. You know, you reach up there and dial that correction in, and then you still you're still able to do the.
0: you know, your ads just like that one, two, four, six. Yeah. Or I mean, it doesn't matter either, either way you remember it. there's one, one, two, two. Cause you're just, yeah. I always think of it that way. Cause I'm thinking, what did I add? What did I hold on the last one? So I'm going to add to that, you know? Yeah. I mean, one, two, four, six or one, one, two, two, it probably doesn't matter, but, right. but uh, I think that rolling it in, like if you're going to dial, why not do it that way anyways? You exactly. Know?
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. I just had never tried it, really. I always thought, man, that's a good idea if I was gonna if I was gonna hold then I would but i but I don't run an impact in a foundation, so I can't do that.
1: <laughs> so it's, Ill- it's illegal it's illegal. It's illegal, I
0: just hold everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you have to hold. You can't you can't dial until you run an impact foundation.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's that, that is the requirement for a hold for holding or for dialing. So <laughs> No, no, I I joke, but you guys obviously are very effective at it. So you guys have proven that obviously you can dial your wind turret and yeah. still make it through a ninety second stage. So it's not a huge deal.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know Clay, he he basically dials every shot. You know he'll he'll reach up there, and when you when you do it all the time, it gets pretty easy because it's the same thing as adding. Like you're talking about, you keep that same thing in your head, but instead of just doing the hold, you just dial it. So he'll go, you know you go to the next target and needs one tenth, he just put boom, boom one tenth puts tenth and it shoots it. Okay, you got to you need two more for the next one. Roll two more in for the next one, and 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 really it is you know it, when you get efficient at it, it's it's just as fast. So yeah, it's just kind of whatever you get comfortable with.
0: Yeah, I mean I've I've toyed with that a little bit, and it's just I don't know. I'm just kind of a creature of habit, so I stay yeah. where I'm at, and I like to poke fun, but obviously it's effective. So
1: Well, and I used to be an exclusive holder, right? Whenever we first started, it was like voodoo to touch that windage knob because everybody would forget that they did it, dialed it, and you'd go to the next stage and you'd shoot the whole stage and then realize you had four tenths of wind dialed in your gun. Couldn't figure out what's going on. And so it was just a voodoo thing to not do. It's like, no, don't, don't even touch that thing. Um, so you just always held everything. And then, you know, kind of came in, started playing with the dialing a little bit and realized, hey, if you dial every stage, then you're not off the next stage because you're checking your dial anyway
0: yeah yeah it's just like your elevation yeah exactly. if you use it that much so yeah it's cool but yeah. anyways i think that uh we've gone on plenty long and i do i do think is got a lot of information out of it so i appreciate you
1: yeah coming on
0: yeah, anytime. yeah. just call me when you're
1: ready for part Oh,
0: i oh i'm <laughs> i'll do it anytime I, I love talking
1: yeah no that's good you know you, you, you're doing good you're putting out a lot of content you know we, uh, on our little podcast, we definitely don't ever put out near enough content or hardly any recently. But, um, man, you're doing a good job.
0: Well, appreciate it. Yeah. If you haven't checked their podcast out, it's, uh, the JTAC podcast. Uh, yeah. It's anywhere. Nothing, nothing,
1: nothing new or recent, but there's still some on there.
0: Yeah. There's some on there. You guys, uh, yeah. You got you, Justin Watts, uh, Clay Blackheader, Tate Streeter on there. And then you got several different. Uh, guests on there, I think.
2: Yep, yep.
0: So yeah, you have to check it out. Um, but no, I appreciate you coming on and being able to share some stuff with people because I think, well, I get a lot of people you know that are very appreciative of the information and they don't always. People don't always have the opportunity. That a lot of a lot of people that listen that aren't from this country. I mean, there's plenty of people that listen from this country, but there's a lot of people from around the world that don't have the opportunity to yeah. get information that it it opens access to, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. They don't don't have the easy access like we do around here where we just go talk to each other. at matches.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It makes it real easy to, to, uh, find the information. So,
1: yeah, for sure.
0: Right on. Well, thanks for coming on and, uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later.
1: All right. Sounds good. We'll see you.